0: See how far we can get? Rahman, Rahim, Salatu Salam, Salat, Tunjina, and and Afat, and Hajat, and Darajat, what to So we left off on the section. ...on the fruits that the Prophet ﷺ used to eat. So, <coughs> the book is warming up for anyone who's not familiar with this genre. The beginning of the book, for people who are not familiar with it, sometimes it takes a little bit to get into. Because it's like, the things that he wore, the shields, <coughs> the bowl that he drank from, it's like not... Some people find it interesting, some people don't uh, as much, although, you know, theoretically we, sh- we really should, but... Uh, now we're in the section on the fruits that he used to eat, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And uh, basically, it says I'm going to summarize these things instead of reading all the Arabic and translating it. Uh, he used to eat, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, a type of like a cucumber-ish fruit or vegetable, and also he used to eat obviously dates, like fresh dates. Um, fresh dates are different than the dried ones. To both, وسلم, but he used to eat both sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, but he used to like the fresh ones. Um, it's also mentioned in narration that he used to eat watermelon sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, which is good news for all the Egyptians. Mm-hmm. Uh, he used to eat the dry date, as I mentioned. And when the when the dates would uh, first appear on the trees, the people of Medina used to bring him the dates sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and he would make dua, like they would bring him the first harvest. And he would say Allahumma <laughs> barik lana fi thimarina, wa barik lana fi madinatina, wa barik lana fi sa'ina, wa fi muddina. Allahumma inna Ibrahim abduka wa khaliluk wa nabiyuk, wa innu hu da'aka limekka, wa ana ad'uka alayhi wa sallam. So when they used to bring him the first harvest, he would say, Oh Allah, bless our fruits and bless our city. And bless, our, and bless our, the things that we weigh by. You know, this produce that we have, essentially. And he says, Oh Allah, Ibrahim is your servant, and he was your close friend, and he was your messenger. And he made a prayer for Mecca. Right? Ibrahim, when he left his people in, in Mecca, he made a prayer for Mecca. That Allah blesses the land, and brings good from it, and gives them provision, and so on. So he used to say, Ibrahim is, is your servant, and your friend, and this, and this, and this. And he made a dua for Mecca. So he used to say, Allah, here, basically here I am, I'm making dua for Medina to have that and more. So he used to do that Wasallam, at, at the time of harvest. Um, the general thing that you see from the example of the Prophet Wasallam is uh, a respect for food. I think that there's a a, a lot uh, has been lost in this regard because we just have so much food, uh, or things that are called food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know that book by um, what's his name, Michael Pollan, in defense of food. Anyone read that book? In defense of food. Fu- anyone read Michael Pollan at all? Anyone like to read? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, if you don't want to read, he has a series on Netflix that's quite good. Mm-hmm. It's called Cooked, it's on his book called Cooked, mm-hmm. and uh, if you're going to watch any of the episodes, I highly recommend watching the episode on air. So basically what he did is he modeled the, the parts of the show around kind of like air, water, earth, uh, what's left, fire, right, and applying those elements to cooking, and he went and he learns to cook in these different methods. So the air one is very much about bread and a lot of the air episode takes place in Morocco and it's pretty cool It's cool to kind of like see the relationship people have with bread and how they talk about it and stuff And then how he you know the things he says it's a good book cooked But he has a couple books before that that are really good too One of them is called in defense of food Which basically argues that instead of eating things that we don't really know what they are we should eat food And um, it's a good book simple but good so you know, we have these things that we call food, <laughs> but they're not always really food. Um, but nonetheless, there's a lot of disrespect for food. You know, it gets thrown around, it gets wasted, it gets um, eaten in very strange ways sometimes. And the pro- But the Prophet them. generally speaking, there's a lot of adab around food. There's a lot of etiquettes around food. This is how you deal with it, this is how you treat it, this is how you eat, this is how you don't eat. This is the things that you say before you eat. These are the things that you say after you eat. And all of that, I think, is to kind of be more aware of the processes that are part of our lives that are actually extremely essential to our existence, right? Like food and drink are extremely essential to our existence. When you don't have food, obviously, that's a big problem, right? And um, so to have more mindfulness around food itself is important. How many of you have been in situations where you had a threat to your, you had a food scarcity threat? Anyone been in a situation like that, Marcus? Anyone else? Yeah. So things are different when you don't know when you're gonna get food, and you don't know it's gonna show up or not. The food, fu- the food stuff gets pretty serious, you know. Um, when we were in Egypt during the during the revolution of. January 2011 There were serious questions around whether or not food was going to be available Within a couple days, right? Like you didn't know Which especially in the beginning you didn't know which direction things were going in and It's very possible that you're not going to have food So people started going to the stores and like there were all kinds of Issues happening at the stores with people trying to buy a lot of food and other like fights that were happening and stuff like not allowing people to do that and all of these kind of things, you start to think like, man, I should have kept some extra tuna cans around. Like I should have kept some stuff, some non-perishable things that, if worst comes to worst, at least I can eat something, right? So, so you start to like have a different perspective on food. Um, I know one thing that like I had heard from my mother in the way that they grew up and where she grew up is, uh, like, food was a very, a, r- a very real question. Right like you she grew up in extremely I guess you can call it rural. Is it still rural if it's next to the ocean? Uh, you know like rural usually you assume it's like kind of country, but anyways it, Food is food is a big issue like if you're not going to catch it yourself or it doesn't grow in your yard It's not always going to be there. So if that something goes wrong in that whole thing you don't really have food and you better have something in the cellar. You better have something that that's saved. So, some some like extra fruits that you had pickled and saved through the winter or whatever it might be, right? Uh, so a lot of these things that I think one of the big big things to take from that is that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi is teaching us to look carefully at the things that are essential to our life, mm-hmm. right? And th- that's it's it's almost funny to say because it's taken so. Taken so much for granted for most of us. And the two big things in that regard are food and safety. That's <laughs> in fi <laughs> Quraysh, right? What's the description that Allah gives to uh, Himself about the people of Mecca? fi Quraysh, illa fihim That Allah, let them worship the Lord of this house, the Kaaba, let them worship the Lord of this house. The one who gave them food uh, when they were hungry and gave them safety when they had fear. These are the two most essential basic things, to have food and to have safety. Right. And uh, both of those were, you know, that was the first time in my life that I experienced, I think the last time too, that I experienced anything like that at that was that real in, in the days of the revolution where you didn't know like when you're in the street if you're going to die or not. And you didn't know whether or not you're going to have food in a couple of days. Like just You don't really know that. And uh, you know these are important things. So at least to have like some level of consideration and appreciation for that. The next section is on the drink of the Prophet ﷺ. Basically, he used to like sweet cold drinks. He used to mix like the drink with, with honey or with some dates or with some uh, raisins. Uh, he used to like drinks like that. They used to do that. Something they would like. You take some water and put some dates in the water and close it off and leave it overnight and then in the morning you have a drink that's kinda like sweet and nice and it's it's not just regular water. You have some extra stuff to it. So he used to like drinks like that, Sunallah will send them. When he used to drink, uh, he would after he would drink he would give to the person on his right, will send them. Um and he used to say sallallahu alaihi wasallam man at'amahu ta'aman wa minhu minhu so he used to say sallallahu alaihi wasallam if someone is given if allah gives them food then they should say oh allah bless us in this and give us better than it give us better. Like, continue to give us His blessing and even to make it better. Um, And uh, then he would also say that if someone is given something to drink, then they they should say, Oh Allah, bless us in this and give us more. And give us more. Um, Marcus, can you put that in the office, please? (laughs) (laughs) It's really nice, but it's... I I feel like I'm getting ready for Brother Ali's show in a couple of days with evidence. It's going to be a lot of that kind of stuff in the air. Um, so they should say, Oh, Allah, bless us in this and give us more of it. And he used to say, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that nothing takes the place of food like milk. Nothing takes the place of food like milk. Thank you, Marcus. Sorry to bother you. Um, then... Uh, It sounds funny when you say it right now because, again, our milk is not really like the milk that they used to drink. Used to drink like the real deal stuff. Uh, How would he drink, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? He would drink standing and he would drink sitting. But the sitting was more common for him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. They say maybe he would drink standing sometimes just to show that it's permissible. He himself would prefer to sit. sit and drink. But sometimes he would do so standing. Or also that's the etiquette of drinking zemzem and you drink Zamzam, the etiquette of Zamzam is to s- drink it standing up and to face the Qibla and to make du'a afterwards. So uh, he used to do both, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. I think one of the big things here is that like, as with most things that relate to etiquette, like, you don't always have to force etiquette on other people. I think one of the big challenges sometimes that we have as a community is that we get in the habit of forcing etiquette on everyone else. And one of the one of the most important rules of adab is that to tell someone else that they don't have adab is like really bad adab. That's that's the basic really bad thing to do. is to tell someone else that they don't they're not doing the right thing. Um, if you're like learning or some relationships lend to that, you know, maybe you have some sort of understanding that you're going to remind each other in that way or whatever. But, you know, sometimes even the best of things like we just have to be sensitive sometimes you know Um, it's like what we were saying earlier you know like you find people that um, this is really bad but sometimes in in bad situations the two proverbs that come to mind are damned if you do damned if you don't and with friends like these who needs enemies Mm -hmm. these are the two that come to mind because it's like you know, say someone is experiencing a loss in their family. One person will come to them and they'll tell them, Brother, you should be patient. And the other person will come and if they're being patient, they'll tell them, It doesn't seem like you've understood what happened yet. You're still in shock. So you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, and with friends like these who needs enemies. Like, it's just sometimes, uh, you know, you don't al- we don't always have to say something. But the the etiquette is the Prophet them used to do both um okay he used to also wear like a cologne or musk or whatever you want to call it um next section is on how was his speech how was his speech you may use so he says that the Prophet Sallallahu alayhi wasallam would speak in language that was very clear. And that was, um, it's kind of like, SubhanAllah, when they, it's going to come later too when it talks about his recitation of the Qur'an, like when you study tajweed, the thing that they say is like, what is tajweed? Tajweed is to give every letter its right, is to give every letter its right. So the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, is saying when he would speak, all the sounds were like, this is its sound. And you could understand what he's saying. And whoever was sitting with him would memorize it. يحفظه يحفظه the person who's sitting with him, sallallahu they could memorize the things that he said. wa uh, anhu. And he used to repeat the things that he would say three times. Doesn't mean that every single time he opened his mouth he would repeat it three times, but that this was something that sometimes he would do, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Um You know the thing about being one of the things that you see from the example of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Allah help us and forgive us, is that, uh, that that idea, again, a proverb, there's so much wisdom in proverbs, right? And I think it's really interesting that when you, re- when you read proverbs across cultures, there's often exact same proverbs in various cultures. And my belief on that is that there are universal wisdoms that human beings through through their own efforts over time like if you have a civilization or a culture that's existed for a long time everyone's uh, people are going to eventually come to certain conclusions that this is something that's good practice and this is something that's not and so you'll find like similar things across cultures right so um, the the thing that is said right the proverb is that actions speak louder than words actions speak louder than words the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was very much someone whose actions spoke louder than his words, and he didn't actually speak that much. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and so he could repeat something three times, and you would kind of remember. And uh, you know that would that would be uh, something that he didn't have to talk a whole lot, because like this is who he is, and this is what he's about. And if you care to know what he's about, then you already know. And he's going to say whatever he needs to say, and he moves he moves on with it. It's also described that the Prophet Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Was Mutawasal and This Some of these things are hard to understand I think for um, Culturally sometimes they're hard for us So what, is this? what does this literally mean Mutawassal and ahzan Literally means that his sadness was continuous His sadness was continuous It's like one That was his, his normal state um, Hmm Give me one second. This so is someone at the hospital. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, how are you? Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah. We're in the Sunday class right now. Oh, I, apologize. I wasn't I wasn't sure if I should answer or not. No, you should answer. I, uh, I apologize. I'll, I'll talk to you afterwards. Okay. Is there any new thing that we need to know? Okay, okay, I'll call you, insha'Allah. BarakAllah <coughs> No new news, for better or for worse. Alhamdulillah. So he was, sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. sallam, al-Ahzan. He had continuous sadness. Continuous sadness. And... Um, but at the same time there's descriptions of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that he was Da'im al Bishr. So it's really interesting, right? He's al Bishr but he's mutawa al-ahzan. which means his sadnesses are continuous and he's always smiling. That's like that's the description of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He's always like both of those are always in his heart. And his sadness is not like a sadness of oh, woe to me, this happened to me in my life or something like that. His sadness is, is like his concern for his people, his concern for people as a whole, his concern for humanity, his concern for the well-being of other people. So he's always like carrying this this in his heart. That, like there's these people that are going through this and so on. And at the same time in his projection with, with the world, he's always happy, sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Uh And that's, you know, part of, as, as we've said, um, Part of the uh, the sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is managing to and, and understanding a lot of things in religion is to embrace this kind of like how do you do two things that are seemingly opposite at the same time? How do you do that? That's it's paradoxical, right? But there's things that we consider to be they don't go together. Right? Like someone who's really strong. Is not generally someone who's really soft, but that's the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Someone who's really intelligent is not always someone who's really simple, but that's the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Like these are, the, the things are like how do you, how do you bring these together, right? But that's that's the way of the Prophet. So he's also someone who's always filled with concern for the people, but also someone who is uh, always happy. Subhanallah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So he says like that was out of his mercy for his people so his uh, both of them are rahmah. his mercy for his people fills him with concern and his mercy for his people fi- shows him with the happiness All right this is something that's uh really subhanallah beautiful uh he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam again wouldn't would not use a whole lot of words but those words were very impactful with the people around him sallallahu alaihi wa sallam uh the next section is on his laughing uh so it says that he would he would laugh sometimes like so much so that you could see like his teeth, right? He, like you know a hearty laugh. But that wasn't like his normal. Uh, he would do that, but it wasn't like he was always doing that. His norm was that he would smile, and usually like they say, uh, so like most of his laughing was actually just smiling. You know, he just smile but. Sometimes he would laugh heartily, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it says, And some of his companions, them. he used to smile at them every single time he saw them. He used to smile at them every single time he saw them. Sometimes that whole thing of like, دحكه, uh um you have to underst- you have to keep that in mind when you read the narration sometimes. Because it might say that he is laughing, but like that laughing was actually smiling. You don't know until you read the commentary, and the commentary kind of like unpacks it for you. So he says some, for example, or the context sometimes clarifies it. Um Ibn Abdullah, for example, Jareer Ibn Abdullah he says, um, that the Prophet ﷺ wasn't with me uh, From the time that I accepted my Islam Every single time that I was with him And he saw me, he would smile like, So he was one of these companions that had that Every time he saw him, the Prophet ﷺ would smile at him um, And again, there's others uh, It also says that when he would laugh Sometimes he would put something over his mouth so like if he was laughing really hard, he'd kinda like you know, people still do this today. Is it really interesting? Like some if people laugh really hard, they'll kinda like cover their mouth because they're laughing. It's like out of some level of shyness, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Uh the next section is on his uh, joking. So he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would joke. Uh, he was known, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that he would joke with his, his companions. It wasn't like he never told jokes or anything or he didn't have a sense of humor. He had a sense of humor, Alaihi alayhi and any but anything that he joked with was true. Like, he wouldn't joke with lies. Um, there's two things that I think are common amongst people. One of them is joking with lies. And these are things that, uh, you know, they can be, it just takes a little bit of effort. Like, if that's a habit that we have, it takes a little bit of effort to change that habit. But one of them is that we joke and we lie when we joke. So like very common when we were growing up was like you say something to someone and they're like, oh, are you serious? And like, no, I was just joking. Uh, it's like, so you just made up the thing, right? To make someone laugh. Um, so he wouldn't do that, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. It's not necessarily that that's like, you're not like going to hell if you do that per se, but it's just he wouldn't do it, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And he would also, the other thing that he did told us not to do is uh, specifically is that we shouldn't cause other people to fear. and you shouldn't yunkhil fi qanbi akhihi. That we shouldn't enter fear into the heart of one's brother or sister in the way that we joke with them or the way that we play pranks on them or so on and so forth. Um, I think we've talked about this before, but like you know that's that's a general etiquette that we shouldn't joke with people in a way that causes them fear. Uh, that's a very sensitive position right like it's and you think about it like it's a very um, interesting position because again it's very common like oh you're just messing around with your friends you're gonna surprise them or you're gonna play this prank on them or do this to them or that to them or whatever it might be but it's going to actually upset them and uh, he he told us not to do that so wa sallam. he used to say things like uh, he used to call N <laughs> like oh you who has two ears I kind of just like teasing him. But to tease it's true, right? He has two ears. Um old woman asked him if uh an old woman asked him that um about entering paradise and he told he told her like basically no, you know you know, you're not gonna enter paradise <laughs> and she was like she she was like, Huh? And he said, Well th- there's no old people in paradise. Like you're not you're not it's not like you're uh, you're going to be young, right? You're not going to be old in paradise. You're going to be young. Um, there's other examples of this too from the Prophet them. but again, the book is very short. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember the other one, but there anyways, there's some other ones. But he them. in general would... Um, he would say things like... What's the one of them? Like... Uh, something about like the white in the person's eyes And then they're like, oh my God like, well, Everyone has white in their eyes You know, like, stuff like that They're like basically puns or play, like plays on words And stuff like that That he would do uh, His speech, as we mentioned There's another section kind of like on poetry Basically says that the Prophet uh, Although he was not known for poetry He was He had an appreciation for it And especially, kind of like the whole poetry thing is especially related to before the message begins. Because it has to be that like anything that would raise a question mark about the authenticity of the revelation, can't be part of the life of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam before the revelation. So he doesn't read, he doesn't write, he doesn't do poetry. But he did have an appreciation for poetry. And he used to say Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that أَشَاعَرَكَ قَالَهَا الشَاعِرُ كَلِمَةُ that the the most strongest like line of poetry that any poet ever said was the line of Labid who said that they said everything the line of poetry says everything other than Allah is nothing, actually, and every every blessing that we have in the end it goes away. This was the line of poetry. So he says, this is like the truest line of poetry that's ever been spoken. So he had an, he had an understanding of these things. Um, we know that he used to give Hassan ibn Thabit, radiallahu mm-hmm. a position in the masjid. Like, in the masjid, on the member. Can you imagine? Hassan ibn Thabit was the Sha'ir of the Prophet, sallallahu He's the poet of the Prophet, sallallahu Alaihi and he used to um, recite poetry and and, pr- and praise the Prophet Sallallahu and praise the believers. Um, there's actually a beautiful scene. I don't even know where you would find it. I, I knew where it was at some point, but if you're into watching these Arab uh, musansalat, there's a musansal on Anqaq ibn Amr al-Tamimi, who was a companion of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And there's this scene where his tribe kind of like comes to the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi wasallam and uh, they say like, Ya Rasulullah, allow us to recite some poetry. And they recite some poetry and then they say like this statement of, you know, like, let us talk because if we praise you, it's, it's, a, it's a glorious thing. And if we don't praise you, it's a bad thing or something like that. And the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi wasallam stopped him and he said, you lied. Actually, that's Allah. Like, that's not you, that's Allah. And then they said their poetry and they, like, whatever. It has the whole scene in the, in the drama. It's really beautiful. And then Hassan ibn Thabit comes and he drops, like, this freestyle poem that's just completely off the hook. And the, everyone's like, oh, my God, his poet's better than our poet. And, like, they, they get it at that moment. Um, so the Prophet ﷺ used to understand that. Like, he had an understanding that this is the medium of communication of our time. And we need to take advantage of this medium. As-salamu <laughs> alaykum. <laughs> Zayek. So he, Hassan ibn Thabit used to go on the member and the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He would praise the Prophet sallallahu from the member. and sometimes he even made du'a for him. One time he told him, like, make, uh, like, respond to the to the negative poetry that these people have. Wa al maak, and Jibreel Jibril salam is with you. And and he would do that from the member from the pulpit of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Um uh. <coughs> So they used to care about that. And Umar bin Khattab also I mean like the Arab they cared about that. They understood that there's wisdom in the poetry. And for for that people that was like Actually, it's not just for that people. Um, That's one of the challenges, I think, of of not reading, (laughs) is that great literature shares oftentimes universal truth. And when when a people share great literature, then they're able to speak about similar things in a way that each other understands. But now it's like, unless you can quote a movie... You, you, there's nothing that people can relate to. And then on top of it, we have a movie industry, because in the end art, is a f- it follows culture. And if you wanna know what's going on with your culture, you look at your art. Do we make, does, does our culture produce actual new art in, in the movie realm? As you just it's like everything is a remake. A remake of this and a remake of that and the 17th superhero movie. And then a remake of this and a remi- it's all remakes because there's nothing left. Like the, the culture literally cannot produce anything good. Uh, that's really scary. Yeah, actually, my my brother in law, we had a conversation with him like before all this stuff went, the direction is going in, he's into film and he called this like, I don't know when it was, probably like 10 years ago. He was like, this is the direction everything's going in. And soon you're not going to see anything new and it's going to be all making old stuff and like there's just nothing there. Right, um, But the point was about literature, and the literature is useful because people can connect to it. So for the, for the Arab, that was their poetry. Everyone knows the great poets, everyone knows the great poetry. Some of it is garbage, like in terms of meaning, some of it is great, and everyone can reference it. Same thing was in classical Muslim education. If you went to like a classical madrasa or something like that, for centuries upon centuries upon centuries, Fathers and children and grandparents and great-grandparents, they studied the same things. So like if you were in South Asia or somewhere, like everyone's going to study Ghalib, and everyone's going to study Rumi, and everyone's going to study this. and everyone. So like when you come home from school as a child, your parents studied the same thing, and your grandparents studied the same thing. So there's a connection. It's in the book in there on... um, I forget which one it is, the one we were just looking at the other day. What was it? The one on logic and reason, I think, in Islamic thought, or something like that. There's a section in the end, like, what happened to Islamic education. And it talks about, like, what happened with the British Empire when it went into South Asia, and how South Asia had all of these independent educational institutions that were actually thriving, and the British system came in and destroyed everything, and created, like, a disconnect between families and stuff. The same thing, you know, like, if you have generation upon generation who have read uh, The Jungle, or they've read, Uncle Tom's Cabin or they've read War and Peace or they've read like all of these great works of western civilization there's there's connections in that and you can you know so that's important for the Arab it was their poetry was my point, it was a belabored point Omar ibn Khattab there's, a, there's a, a poem actually used to encourage people to um, to study I think it's called Lamiyat Al Arab I don't know if anyone remembers. It's been translated actually. It's translated into English. You know, people study all kinds of things, and um, it basically he said like it teaches people what manhood truly is, or what what it means to be an adult. Manhood is not necessarily in contrast to womanhood, by the way. It's in contrast to childhood. So it's like, what is it? What does it mean to not be a child anymore? These are the qualities that a person has. So like. He would encourage them to learn that learn that poem and teach it to their children. The Prophet used to sometimes uh, be around his companions uh, while they talk about things of like jahiliyyah, you know, like pre-Islamic stuff. It wasn't always like religious talk when they were with the Prophet. It was clean and it wasn't foul and it wasn't this and this and this and this, but it wasn't always like the most serious talk. Like sometimes they just talk about whatever comes up. They talk about whatever they talk about and they laugh and they joke and they reminisce. And the Prophet would just sit there and be quiet. And then they talk and they talk. It's just like, you know, part of the conversation. And eventually they would he would go on with it. Uh, we'll do this as the last section, inshallah, before we stop for the day. The last section we'll do today is on the description of his sleep, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So he used to say, it says, it says, وسلم, he would lay on his right and he would put his right hand under his right cheek. That's so how he would lay down. And he would say, Oh Allah, protect me from your punishment on the day when you resurrect your servants. Protect me of your punishment on the day when you resurrect your servants. And he would sleep like that. He used to also um, kind of like blow in his hands, you know, and then read the three quls and then wipe his body with it. And he would do that three times before he went to sleep. He was so regular in this practice that even when he was in the sickness of his death, his his wife radiallahu anha aisha she would do it for him like he wouldn't leave this that was how much he wouldn't leave this particular act sallallahu alaihi wasallam you ask what does it mean and so on and so forth all we know is that he was very very consistent with it and that these these three surahs are generally speaking surahs of protection from uh, whatever goes on in the unseen uh And we already mentioned. Generally, he would speak. Uh, he would sleep. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, in a state of wudu. Also, so a person lays down on their right side, and they make the du'a. They might read some adhkar like Ayatul Kursi, the three quls, whatever it might be. Sleep on wudu, and Inshallah, that's what he would do. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Lillahm Asalamu Alaikum Muhammad Wa Lillahim Wasallam. Any questions or comments?